90s footy fans, welcome to another week of the 90s Club Footy Podcast. This week we talk with former Melbourne skipper, David Neitz. David began his AFL career with Melbourne in 1993. He became the first demon to play over 300 games. He kicked 631 goals during his career and was captain for nine seasons. In this chat, David talks about playing back and then forward in the early years, Neil Danaher setting up the famous Sean Smith mark up at the Gabba, taking on the captaincy and his favourite D's characters. I hope you enjoy my chat with the latest member of the 90s Club Footy Podcast, David Neitz. David Neitz, thank you for joining me on the 90s Club Footy Podcast. Great to catch up with you and, and touch base, mate. Yeah, thanks, Trey. Good to be uh, good to be on. I'm really looking forward to our chat, mate. Obviously, a long history with the Melbourne Football Club, and um, you wore that number nine with absolute distinction. But before we sort of get into the footy chat, Nita, um, what are you doing with yourself at the moment? And I guess is there any football involvement still after post football? Yeah, so um, not not so much. Um, a little bit of footy involvement. The only, the only involvement I've got at the moment is I'm sit on the panel of the AFL Tribunal. Um, so that's all I'm doing at the moment. I had a few years back, um, I did a little bit of part-time coaching at the Hawks for a couple of years, but, um, but that was, that was about it. So, uh, but no post footy, I've, um, um, sort of, uh, started in sort of marketing and communications. So, uh, did a little bit of work in that space. And, and now I've, uh, my other passion is in beer. So I've got a little, uh, craft beer company that I'm, uh, that I'm a part of, which is heavily occupied at the moment. Funny you say that, mate. So I'm in South Australia at the moment just on a holiday and I did get myself a little uh, six-pack from Victoria when we drove over just to uh, have throughout the evenings and uh, a very nice product, mate. So uh, I very much enjoyed. Yes, yes. Get on to the Brumanity beers. They're, uh, we've got a few different beers out there at the moment. So, uh, you know, they're in stands and Coles and uh, a host of independent bottle shops in Victoria. So, um, yeah, a new brewery coming soon as well, which uh, into South Melbourne, which... Hopefully that'll happen in about March uh, 2023. Oh, fantastic, mate. Hey, let's talk some footy. Now, I didn't realise that you were born in Tasmania, mate. So how did you make your way to Victoria? Then, I guess, following on from that, how did you make your way to the Melbourne Demons? Yeah, I was, I was only in Tasmania for a very, very short period of time. Um, dad, dad, Mum and Dad moved over to Tassie. Um, dad uh, is an electrician by trade, but he went over and worked <coughs> excuse me, in the mines in northwest Tassie. And played footy for Alberston uh, up there. So uh, I was born up in Alberston, um, and then well, about maybe two or two or so, I moved back back to Victoria. So, um, so it was a very 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 short stint over in Tassie, but but then yeah, settled around uh, in southeast Victoria, sort of uh, place got Noble Park near Keysborough, Dandenong around that area, and. Played my junior footy in the Dandenong District Footy League with a little bit at Noble Park at a junior footy club called Parkmore before um, before back in the days it was the uh, it was the zone system. So I lived in Melbourne Zone and uh, went through the repper charge with those guys and um, from, probably from about the age of 15, well, probably 14 I suppose, um, and just went, went went through the ranks with them. So did you have to get? Do you have to go through the draft to get picked up by the D's, or because you went through the the nineteens and the reserves and all that sort of stuff that you were sort of not an automatic rollover, I guess. Well, yeah, it was the it, it was so I played 
I played um, under 19 at the age of 15, so I, I was trialling out for the Teal Cup at the time, uh, where Dennis Bacon was the coach. And, um, and he said, look, we think we want to pick you, young fella, but I only pick players who are playing in the under 19. So, um, <laughs> so I said, okay, no worries. And then I started playing under 19 footy uh, with the Demons back then. And, and then when it came to draft time, I think it was, uh, what was it? It was 1990. Two, that was the um, that was the last year of the draft. And '93 was the, the first year of the oh, sorry, last year of the zones, and '93 was the first year of the draft, I think. And uh, but anyway, the demons um, basically had to either put me on their senior list, or I would go and play for the Stingrays or something like that, and be open to the draft. But uh, so it was, uh, it was myself. Uh, Paul Hopgood, David Swartz, we were all sort of the last sort of bastion of the under 19 days for the Demons. Oh, fantastic. You played your early years at the D's as a defender, Nita. Um, sort of, was that the type of play that the Melbourne Football Club sort of developed you into, I guess, in your early years with playing reserves in the under 19? So is, that, is that sort of the role that they foreseen you to, uh, to have at the D's long term? Yeah, it was, look, it was definitely a key position. So, um, but, but I guess. I played a little bit of back and and forward, to, to be fair. Um, so, uh, so it's sort of a bit of an extension when I when I moved into the senior ranks that that I um, that I did a bit of both. My first first few games uh, with Melbourne were as a um, I, I think so probably the year before in the resis. I probably played predominantly as a forward. I'd, I'd say. Um, a little bit back, but predominantly forward, and then uh, debuted the first few games with a forward, um, and and with a forward line of uh, you know we had Jakovic, Lyon, and Swartz, and then squeezing myself in um, was a bit crowded up there. So Neil Baum at the time um, wanted to give me a run, so he said, "Well, let's throw you back to centre half back and see how you go down there." Um, and I was able to just settle in there pretty well, and 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 then you know particularly that. Well, I guess the rest of the majority of '93 and and '94 uh, was was all all as a backman, um, and the big ox was dominating as a as the key centre half forward. Gary Lyon was playing you know really well as a full forward, so we actually had a pretty pretty strong looking spine there at that point in time. Uh, but then obviously the big ox went down and Gaza injured his back, so I, I became a bit of a swingman for a few years. And that sort of worked out pretty well too, mate, because you end up winning seven leading goal-kicking awards and a Coleman medal. So you you went all right at the caper up forward. <laughs> um, yeah, look, look, it was good. It was it's interesting. We, so I was a swingman there for a while. Well, I guess cut my teeth predominantly as a backman, but then um, I got a bit too much of a taste of it up forward. So <laughs> it got harder and harder to go back in the end. But um, but no, it was uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed playing in the defence. Like, yeah, you get to learn against some of the some of the really great players. Um, you know, playing on you know, Wayne Carey, Stephen Kernahan, uh, Barry Stoneham. There's just a Chris Grant. There's just a whole stack of uh, really good players to play on and 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 pick up some tricks, I suppose, from those guys and uh, implement those into my game up forward. Cal kicks to centre half forward. Meets in front. He's a chance here, David Meets. Haven't got many tall forwards up there. Sean Smith can become tall when he leaps as high as a goalpost. <laughs> David Neitz might be having a shot. 55 metres out. 
Kicks it a country kilometre. What a goal! Nita, your your impact for the Red and Blue was pretty immediate. When you look at it, you had 19 games in your debut season. You played State of Origin in your second season. And then you're an All-Australian in your third season. So, you know, from a starting point, that must have gave you some great confidence knowing, yep, I'm, I'm certainly about, um, able to play at this level. Yeah, look, uh, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I guess it was an interesting uh, time back, back in the day. And even, even I guess, so my first year of playing against men was was in '92, and I played a full full season in the in the resies for the D's. Um, so I was still 17 in year 12. But you know, when you line up on you know guys like uh, Peter Foster, um, David Reese Jones, Chris Mew, you know, there's some there's some really serious players that obviously at the back end of their career, but the young kids, you know, trying to find your way, you had to grow up pretty quickly playing against some of those boys. Uh, I think it helped me in really good stead uh, for my first first couple of senior years. And um, uh, and, and as I say, you know, the, um, again, the education continued in, you know, playing, well, forced to play key centre-half back positions against some of these guys. I was just able to uh, hold my own, I suppose, and, uh, and survive. And then by sort of, yeah, I guess, 95, five seasons that I started to um, start to thrive a little bit, I think. Was there anyone at the D's that was a real mentor to you, whether it was a playing member or someone on the coaching staff that f- put a fair bit of work into you, David, and um, I guess, you know, and you, uh, you know, developed from that work that you uh, that you had, had with them? Yeah, look, I guess there's, there's lots of people and, um, you know, I guess Mark Cross was our under-19s and reserve coach. Um, initially, and and uh, and he was fantastic. Yeah, you know, it was it was a different era back then. It was a, it was a pretty hard taskmasters, but but um, but they gave me a lot of confidence and, and belief and um, things like that growing through. And then you know Neil, Neil Barn was excellent in my in my first first little um, first year in particular at the Demons. You know, I was just scratching around really in the first few games. Uh, I think I had one game where I kicked a few goals up forward, which was good. But aside aside from that, um, just really questioning, you know, whether I belonged at the level. But Neil Barn was excellent in terms of just start showing faith and belief in in what I could do. Uh, and I guess I guess on the on the training track, I had um, a good ally in in the big ox, David Schwartz. He and I spent a hell of a lot of time as young kids, really. Just wanted to get better and, and get the best out of ourselves, and we'd compete really hard on the on the training track and, and push each other along. And um, and training against uh, against the guy like that was 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 really important as well. Nineteen ninety five, one of the great footy moments occurred up at the Gabba. It was a big hanger taken by Sean Smith, and <laughs> I was watching the uh, the footage the other night, and I didn't realise that uh, the number nine was the one that put the forward, the football in the forward 50 for uh, Smith to take that big hanger. So can you remember the uh, the mark, you know, pretty clearly? And, you know, what was your reaction after he took it? Well, he, he, I should have an extra goal on my goal-kicking tally. Going through a goal-based height almost. <laughs> so um, I often remind Smith that he owes me one. But, uh, but no, look, it was, it was, a, it was, uh, well, it wasn't, the game wasn't so great for us. We, uh, lost the game and ended up missing, missing finals. But, but the mark was just absurd, really, to see, to see him go up and off, off a couple of steps. It was, uh, it was absolutely unbelievable. Uh, you know, we, we obviously seen it throughout, 
throughout uh, the year with Smithy and over the years with what he could do, but, but that was outrageous. And, um, and for the guy behind the goal to, to capture the moment, uh, so beautifully, it was uh, it was just fantastic, and uh, just another one of Gary uh, Lyons, Gary Lyons featured moments in in a mark of mark of the year or mark of the century. He was, he was at the bottom of Sean Smith, he was at the bottom of Jeff Farmer, he was at the bottom of a few of those marks. I had to laugh. I spoke with Nathan Chapman from the Brisbane Bears in an earlier podcast, and he was one of the ones that was sort of playing. Um, not directly on, on Smith, but he should have got in the road there because uh, he was saying that Richard Champion, who was the one that Smith took the hanger on, was uh, was pretty pissed with him in the end. <laughs> yeah. Well, he knew what he was going to do. He knew what he was going to do. No, he's an absolute freak. Sean Smith, um, undersized, but just that leap. And he'd just he'd be taking hangers um, every second week. Ah, oh, he's a ripper, that's for sure. Hey, Nita, there was a couple of finals appearances in the 1990s, and I was looking back, and you've made the prelim in 94 and 98. Looking back at those two years, you took on some very good sides, obviously West Coast in 94 and the Kangaroos yep. in 98. That must have been a really tough decade to play finals and even win them, you know, because, uh, you know, you had some great sides running around, Carlton, Essendon's, Geelong's, um, you know, Western or Footscray back then, North Melbourne, Adelaide. Must be tough to play finals footy back in the the nineties. Yeah, look, look the um, the ninety four season was um, we we played some really good finals finals games uh, in in that series. I think we we uh, yeah we had the Bulldogs in in I think it was the first final and Carlton in the, in the next final and um, you know we played some pretty good footy. I think. He, Gary Lyon in, in that Carlton game was, um, I can remember, he, he's the most meticulous guy in terms of his preparation before games. You know, he'd have to be wake up at the same time, eat the right thing in the, in the morning at the same time, wear the same clothes, all that sort of stuff. And he, he was fastidious with what he, how he prepared. But but I think his son, his young son was crook and he spent the night in pretty much in hospital all night the night before. And um, I think he came out and kicked 10 goals in the first, and then and then Barley rested him on the bench for the last quarter. <laughs> you know, it was we were playing good. The big ox was really up and about. He was he was peaking. I think at that at that time, you know, he, there was comparisons with with him and, and Wayne Carey at that point in time. You know, he was taking fifteen marks and kicking five goals in a finals footy. You know, it was um, it was a really really promising team that one. And then unfortunately, we had to go to West Coast. So I think now I can't remember the exact details of this, but but they changed the, how the structure of the finals went after that, and it would have been, should have been that uh, with our ladder positions that West Coast came to Melbourne. But as it was, we had to go over to West Coast, and yeah. um, and they looked over at Body Strong team um, that year, and, and particularly over there, we, um, <coughs> we we couldn't couldn't get it done um, against the Weagles over there, and to rub to rub salt in the wounds, it was the old the showers didn't work, the Subiaco Oval, the um, the bus couldn't get through, so we had to leave that final um, and walk through the streets of WA in our full playing kit, no shower, no change of clothes, <laughs> and just cop it from the bars. The bloke hanging out of the bars uh, over in over in Perth. It was a it was a horrible bloody end of the season. That one. Oh, talk about kicking yeah. a man down when uh, when he's down even that far, that, that far already. <laughs> it was, and yeah, and then look at ninety eight. I thought. I thought 98, probably over the span of my career, that might have been our best chance to win it. You know, we had um, 
as I said before, you know, Gary Lyon had some injuries through the middle part of the 90s, uh, but we got to a stage where we had Gary Lyon back up and playing, the Big Ox was back into the team, um, albeit not the scintillating best, but still um, very good player. Todd Viney was still around, Jim Steins was around, and then you know, uh, Jeff, Jeff Farmer was, was electrifying in, in that year. So, you know, we, we had we had a really good team um, in that 98 series. Um, and again, you know, played played really well, played, you know, smacked Adelaide, um, who ended up winning it. And then uh, kept it come up against North in that prelim final. And, uh, yeah, just, just uh, and they were obviously a great team in that era with, with, with legendary players. But, um, but we just couldn't quite get it done at the prelim. And once again, Melbourne with desperation with the footy. Power kick was quick but effective. And Uze, who's starting to slice them up a bit, delivers again for Green. It was too hot. McKay oh. oh, he's passed his way through. The big man, David Neitz, lead from the front. What a goal. Inspiring football by the Demons. I've read many times, David, that you had a really close relationship with Neil Danaher. Tell me about Neil, the coach. <laughs> yeah, look. Neil, um, as a as a co- as a coach back in the day, um, he, he look it, it was a, it was a different era, I guess, uh, back then. So I think he was honest in in his opinion, um, and he was absolutely resilient, and he was fiercely loyal to his players. But there was still a bit of tough love in in how he how he went about things as a coach. He had been a pretty clear way he wanted to play play footy. Uh, and obviously he treated players differently, you know, players who needed a little bit more love got it, and those who um, he felt needed a little bit more of a, of a tough love approach got that as well. So, um, you know, he was able to adapt and accommodate to different players' needs, I suppose. But but what you got from Neil was um, was, was, was brutal honesty. Everyone knew exactly where, you, where you're at, and you knew that um, he was going to support you, you know. So, um, and, and, and I guess, when he first came in, you know, 97, we were bottom of the ladder. And then he came in and it was a massive education process. So, uh, you know, we didn't, we were a bit nomadic, the Demons, you know, after leaving the MCG. We sort of trained at the Junction Oval, but we got kicked off every summer and pre-season for the cricketers and uh, just sort of traipsing around trying to find uh, games to train at and things like that. But his first year, we were out at Caulfield Grammar, and uh, it was excellent. He he, um, he, he took everyone uh, back to school, literally, at Caulfield Grammar, and he's got lectures on the game about ball movement, uh, stoppages, clearances, full-back kick-ins, you name it. We would ha- we'd have a massive education session. And, <laughs> and as I said, you know, we've got uh, Brett Lovett, Jim Stiles, Gary Lyon, Todd Viney. All these guys are really experienced, so I think. They, along with all of us, just learnt a hell of a lot about the game uh, from, from him and, and his view on it. Um, and then we were able to, uh, you know, really turn things around from the bottom, as I say, make it to a prelude final. Obviously, we've got personnel back into our team as well, but um, but it was a it was a great education process. And um, and obviously, you know, I guess my personal relationship is just blossomed more after after footy, if you like, you know, we'd catch up and play golf and all those types of things and have a good time and a good laugh about the old days. But um, but obviously you see what he's doing now and, and, and the devastation of his diagnosis, diagnosis of motor neuro disease and, 
um, his selflessness uh, and his attitude towards the disease. Uh, you know, it's no surprise to anyone who's played under him or knows him uh, the way that he's attacked it. But, but when you're faced with, um, with 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 that sort of diagnosis, where that you know, unfortunately, there is no hope. It is going to get get him. Um, but to to fight to find a cure is just uh, and and you know, sacrifice his own time and time with the family is. Um, just an amazing effort. Yeah, he's a true inspiration, that's for sure. Now, you speak about the tough love. I did read a little article where yourself and Jeff Farmer got a decent little spray. I think it might have been in the preseason season 1998, and the great Neil Danaher yeah. lost his voice. Can you elaborate on that one a little bit? Oh, yeah, look, uh, um, well, you did, as I say, we did that preseason, and, and he, we were back to school, and it was all fantastic, and it was all encouraging. And then it was a NAB Cup game in, in uh, New Zealand against the States, uh, I think there were maybe three sheep watching the game. Not much interest in New Zealand, but um, and we sort of rocked. We were a bit, bit probably a little bit relaxed early, da- early days in the uh, in the season. And well, at halftime, uh, Neil her came in. I hadn't got much of a kick. I think, I think the wizard hadn't done much clearly, obviously either. But um, but uh, I got dragged towards the end of the second quarter, and Sean Smith came on, and at halftime. Neil's going, Nita, take a mark. <laughs> take a mark, Smith. He comes on for two seconds and takes a mark. Oh, and take a bloody mark. <laughs> it was just gone at me. And then I think the wizard didn't, I, I don't think the wizard got any instructions at all. He just got the wizard, wizard, wizard. <laughs> uh, and, and no instructions. So we're all sitting there, Jesus, what have we got here? You know, we've got the teacher one minute, and now we've got uh, a crazy man the next. Uh, but yeah, unfortunately, he blew the he blew the gasket on his voice box, uh, and one of the assistant coaches had to go and uh, read the sides out for <laughs> start the three, three points. But that wasn't that wasn't his best break. But for my, I think my best break for him was um, he was was all about his big on wanting to push the forwards up the ground to you know squeeze up the ground so that we could help the defence out. And this one day. Push the forwards up the ground. See you, buddy, lazy forwards. You got to get up the ground, push up the ground, help out the defence, buddy. <laughs> and uh, I was sitting there going, mate, I was in the coach's box. I was actually injured that day. I wasn't even playing. <laughs> and I've still copped a little spray. But, jeez, I hope I got here. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's good. Hey, mate, you took on the captaincy in 2000. That must have been a great um, – I guess, reward and, and was it something that you were keen to do? And I think a follow-on question from that as well, that must have been a real privilege to then captain your side into the 2000 grand final against the Bombers. Yeah, look, it was, um, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a great, great honour. I'd been, I'd been sort of involved in some of the leadership groups, I suppose, earlier on um, as, as deputy vice captain and vice captain that I had back in, back in the day. Um, so yeah, to, to, to sort of get, get the nod as skipper was a great, great honour. Um, and, and it was, it was fantastic to lead the side into the 2000 grand final as well. Unfortunately, the result didn't, didn't go our way, but, um, well, yes, for me, the, the, that first year was, it was really easy, really, as captain. We you know we're, we're on a winning streak. We've, we make the grand final. Things are running along pretty smoothly. And I thought, you know, how easy is this, this captaincy business? So, um, 
but it probably wasn't until the next year, uh, 2001, we didn't we didn't have a good follow-on season from uh, from the grand final appearance. And um, I guess as a skipper, a lot you know, obviously then you feel the pressure more. And a lot of learnings came from that. It's about learning about myself, learning about my leadership style, learning to try and get more out of players, be more demanding, all that kind of stuff. So I think it was a great honour um, and a privilege. And in 2000, in, in 2001, I started to work out, well, gee, what is captaincy all about and do a lot of soul searching, I suppose. And then I guess from 2002 onwards, it was um, I, I started to find myself a bit more as a leader um, and able to sort of separate from the group a little bit um, and, and uh, yeah, find my groove in my leadership style. And Needs will give Bowman all sorts of trouble if he's in a one-on-one contest. No doubt about that. Big kick coming up for Neats, as I said. He kicked seven goals last week. He comes in, the Melbourne skipper, for their first. And does what a good skipper does. He kicks the goal when required. David, you were a record holder at the Demons on a number of facets. It was amazing when I was reading uh, you know, a bit about your background over the last couple of nights. You were the first player in the Demons colours to reach 300 games. I think you took over the game's record from Robbie Flower. You're the most years captain of the Demons. You've kicked the most goals. When you sit back and, you know, reflect, you must be pretty proud of your achievements and, and what you contributed to the Melbourne Football Club. Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's bizarre, really, when you think about it, that uh, the eldest club going around in the competition didn't have a, a 300-game player and, uh, uh, until I, I sort of got, got there. It was bit of an anomaly, really, but um, yeah. Look, with uh, when you look at some of the some of the past names, it's uh, it's great to, to hold some of those records. Um, you know, uh, I'd, I'd I'd much rather hold less of those records than um, and have a from Barassi amount of premiership um, cups next to my name. But uh, but look, yeah, it was uh, a testament. You had a little bit of luck to you know with injuries and all that sort of stuff to to, uh, to amass some of these things, but. Um, yeah, I think I you know, work, worked pretty hard at my game and um, uh, had a bit of luck along the way, And uh, but it was nice to be able to, yeah, to reach some of those milestones, for sure. Last year, you must have been pretty wrapped when the Ds won the, the flag, 2021. Um, you know, obviously, 300-game player. You've been a part of the club for a long, long time. To see them finally get that premiership win, it must have been really satisfying. Yeah, yeah it was. It was. It was. Um, yeah, they've been building building for a while. Um, I think the club the club bit of a line in the sand moment when they obviously they they had uh, you know uh, Paul Ruse came on board, um, Todd Viney came on board from a from a list management point of view, and Peter Jackson was was around and 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 not just that, but then over the, over the next oh, what was six or seven or eight years, there was the, the club was able to get some stability, you know, across all lines. Uh, with you know, from C, you know, board, CEO, coaching department, um, obviously Simon coming through and in, in, in that sort of apprenticeship, if you like, with with Ruzi. But we're able to just get some get some stability. Um, and I guess looking back at the club's history, you know, the uh, probably you know since we 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 left the MCC and all those type days way back in the seventies, there's been uh, we haven't really been able to get it together as a club and. And have really strong sustained stability right throughout the place. Um, so I think to be able to have that, uh, go to the draft and have a really clear 
understanding of the types of players that we wanted to draft in. I think Todd Viney and Paul Ruse were big on that. Um, drafting players with, with you know, the, the, the cultural aspects that they wanted, the competitiveness that they wanted. I think it sort of started then. And then obviously Simon coming in and, uh, you know, even ex-teammate Adam Uze coming into the coach's box and, and everyone has an impact on the game style and how we play. But but the culture piece was um, was really important, um, and then you know to be able to to be able to get it done under that sort of duress, um, with COVID still lingering in the air, it was an amazing effort by our boys. And geez, it was even though we couldn't be there unfortunately, but uh, bloody satisfying still watching it on the TV. <laughs> now, David, at the end of my podcast, I always give my guests a couple of few quick handballs, just a couple of quick questions, just to uh, to wrap things up. So. The first thing I'll do, I'm going to give you five names, some teammates of yours that you play with at the D's, and I'd love it yep. if you could share a, a word or just a, a short phrase to describe these five guys. So, the, okay. so, the, so always chucks me guests under the pump with this one. It's always a bit of fun. <laughs> I know. I'm feeling the pressure already. <laughs> so the first one I'm going to throw at you is uh, the great Gary Lyon. Ah, uh, silky. Stephen Tingay. Oh, um amazingly amazing player and amazingly unlucky with injuries. I had him on the podcast earlier and uh, tell you what, he was an absolute ripper. He's a good fella, uh, singer. Uh, he, he, he's an absolute legend. You know, he injured himself. He's his right foot, so he turned into a left footer and he's probably the best kick in our team on his left foot. And preferred, he was unbelievable. Uh, you've spoken about, about this guy a little bit throughout the podcast, the Wiz, Jeff Farmer. Um, absolute freakish talent. Adam Uze. Oh, geez, I've already used the word, word silky. Um, um, yeah, but, but pure pure polish and, and, and footy smart. And the last one, Shane Waywoden. Shane Waywoden. Um, just a hard-working, um, really gun, gun midfielder. Um, and we were shattered um, the way it sort of ended with the Demons. But... Um, we embraced him back into our fold um, as a team now, and we, we loved having him as part of our club. You played forward and back. Who is your hardest opponent? Uh, I'll go. I'll go to Wayne, to Wayne Carey as a, as a backman. It's always good to play on someone who's probably probably the best, potentially one of the best ever. Who was the best character at the D's when you were playing? Uh, and I guess when I'm speaking about character or characters. Is to hang around with and, and have a beer with and you know just enjoy each other's company. Uh, there's, there's a few of them, but uh, no, Paul Hopgood stands out to me. My old '99 teammate was um, was was just a fantastic bloke to have in the change rooms. And the last one to finish off, what was the most enjoyable aspect of being a '90s footballer? No, no floods, freedom to be able to move inside fifty. <laughs> um, <laughs> No social media. <laughs> it was look. It was a, it was just a. It was a great great era, wasn't it? The free flowing, uh, pure footy, pure contest. Um, uh, I, I love being part of it. David Nates, thank you so much for joining us on the Nineties Club Footy Podcast. Really appreciate your time, mate. Cheers, Trent. Thanks for that. This man here, Nates. If he kicks this, it'll be his highest personal tally of goals in AFL football. David Neitz for goal number nine. He's got it. Neitz and nine. That's the end of episode 45. 
If you've missed any previous episodes, you can catch them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're on all the social media platforms, so drop us a line on Facebook, Instagram, on Twitter, on any particular episode you've enjoyed, or a guest you would love to hear. Next week, we catch up with former Geelong and Melbourne player, Clint Bizzle. It's tough, it's rugged, it's good, solid AFL football.